Welcome to the Superintendent Radio Network one last time in 2019. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine and host of Off the Course, the podcast that takes turf heads anywhere other than their 9 or 18 or 36 holes, or in today's case, 126 holes. I'm going to talk with Kenton Brunson. He is the Superintendent of Golf Course Operations at Desert Mountain Club out in Arizona. He is also the proud owner of an MBA, a degree he earned while still working at Desert Mountain, a very aggressive professional schedule. Before we get to Kenton, though, a quick thank you to our sponsor. This is the first episode of this podcast, sponsored by AquaAid Solutions. For more than 30 years, AquaAid Solutions has been helping turf managers around the world develop comprehensive agronomic plans to produce healthy, environmentally aware, safe, natural grass playing surfaces. They're proud to deliver best-in-class solutions for management of key elements for a healthy and sustainable plant system. And their solutions include wetting agents, soil surfactants, calcium and potassium products, and worm-powered turf, all of which help the end user optimize his or her agronomic programs. Incorporating AquaAid Solutions technologically advanced active ingredients with cutting-edge equipment technology and items, Vrito Cedars and Seagrow Mobile Grow Systems, turf managers are offered synergistic solutions delivering long-lasting agronomic value, improved aesthetics, and playability. Now, on to Kenton Brunson. My guest today, Kenton Brunson, a great, great young rising star in the industry. He's also the superintendent of golf course operations at Desert Mountain Club in Scottsdale, Arizona, just outside Phoenix. He was an attendee a couple weeks ago of the 11th annual Syngenta Business Institute near Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem. Also a great, great story and a pretty fast riser in the industry. Kenton, what's going on? How are you doing? I'm doing well, Matt. How are you? Doing great. Before anything else, before we talk about Desert Mountain or you worked at Pebble Beach for a couple years or any of your other internships, your family ties to the industry, let's talk about what we both were doing uh, at this time just a couple weeks ago, which is spending three or four really, really great days at the Syngenta Business Institute. Fantastic event, almost nothing uh, in terms of conversation to do with agronomy except for conversations outside of the classroom eight or nine hours a day straight about business about finance and negotiations about managing and motivating your employees what were some of your takeaways from those really really packed really informative days because you're someone with a business background but that was even more of a crash course in in a lot of really good stuff yes um well we flew in tuesday night and then uh, flew out Friday afternoon. Um, out of all the you know education events or um, marketing events I've been to, I would say that SBI was probably the best. Um, I really thought that that the business aspect is something that we kind of overlook, and I really enjoyed it. I, I liked that there wasn't any agronomy because it kind of kept everyone on their toes. Um, and I, overall, it was a fantastic event. Guy Cipriano, my editor, and I talked about the event in our Greens with Envy podcast last week. Some folks may have heard that on the Superintendent Radio Network and, and my impressions of it. 
what did you take away? What did you, when you hopped on the plane and you flew back to Arizona from North Carolina, what was in your head? Or did you just fall asleep because of exhaustion after those pack days? Yeah, I was I was pretty tired. I actually flew back with uh, one of my best friends, Ross Navola, who you obviously know, mm-hmm. who's at the Madison Club. And we had a, uh, some time to talk about it. And I think the biggest takeaway f- for the both of us was the multi-generational and multicultural differences that that we see in the industry today. I know at Desert Mountain we, you know, have seven to nine different languages. And uh, with Ross and I being very young in the industry, it is kind of cool to see what differences we have with someone who, you know, has been in the industry for 30 or 40 years. So that was kind of my biggest takeaway, the finance. You know, I have the finance background, so... Um, a lot of the stuff that was taught, I, I already knew that, but um, I would say that definitely it was the it was the social, you know, economics and all that. So, and with you being in Arizona and at such a diverse club, like you said, uh, seven to nine languages most of the time spoken at Desert Mountain Club, including obviously Spanish and occasionally Russian. I think Burmese recently. Yep, yep. We got Burmese and we got um, people from South Africa. Uh, Iraq, uh, and then the Burmese language is very difficult because they have different dialects. Um, so, you know, there is a wide variety of, of communication here. You mentioned just a few seconds ago you do have that finance background. We're going to get to this in just a second. Around all of your golf course work, you decided to take the aggressive and it's to be applauded, but very, very aggressive move to pursue a professional MBA without leaving the industry. Uh, you went to the University of Arizona, basically, what was it, six and a half hours a night, one night a week for 20 months? Yeah, so um, so I talked with Sean and uh, when I was an assistant at Desert Mountain uh, three years ago, and I asked him, you know, if I wanted to get to, to his level one day, what what should I do education-wise? Because I had a, an undergrad in agronomy from Washington State, and and he said if he could do it again, he would have got a four years in business, or a four year or a bachelor's in business. And so then I made the decision that well maybe I'll just get my MBA. So then I enrolled at, at U of A at their Phoenix campus, and once a week for 20 months we would meet every Wednesday from four o'clock, or really it was about 3:30 until 10 o'clock at night. Uh, and then I ended up finishing it online, so I did like 14 months while I was at Desert Mountain. And then when I took the assistant job for the Pebble Beach Company, I finished it up online. So it really worked out, and uh, I'm really glad I did it. And you finished when? I finished last December. Okay, so a year... So coming, coming up on a year. A year in hindsight... Obviously, very glad you did it, but how did you do it? Like, how did you balance working insane hours at Desert Mountain and then obviously Pebble Beach as well? You were there for a couple of years with this just rigorous course load to get your MBA. Yeah, it was it was very difficult. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, I would say on a weekly basis it was 20 to 25 hours of course load. Um, but I would say, you know, if I was in a Desert Mountain and Sean – uh, Sean really gave me um, the tools to be successful. You know, I, we would just communicate like, hey, I got class on this day. He'd give me the day off to catch up Could, because he knew, you know, in the long run uh, that he'd eventually get it back. 
and um, I, it was difficult. And it, it was very difficult. Um, and then when I worked at Pebble, Jeff Steen was my boss at Spanish Bay. He was also very willing to give me time off to do it. So I think having those two bosses and, and, and being flexible with them and just the communication aspect was crucial, but it was very difficult. What were your daily schedules like? Because obviously the day that you're there for six, six and a half hours in class, that's a little different than days that you're home studying or, or maybe you bring a book to the course if you have a spare hour here or there. But what was your daily schedule like during that year and a half or 20 months? So when I was at Desert Mountain, you know, we would show up at 5, 5.30. Let's just say it was on a Wednesday. And then uh, my day would go to about 2 o'clock. So I try to get out of here early because it, it's an hour drive to to the Phoenix campus from Desert Mountain. As you know, it's it's pretty far up here in North Scottsdale. And so then I would show up about three o'clock, three thirty, get something to eat, and then go all the way until ten o'clock. Um, and then I'd really try to take Sundays off, so I didn't have have work or or school or anything. But Saturdays, Saturdays were always on campus if I had the the day off. Uh, from anywhere from, you know, 8 to 8. It was a full, like, 12 hours with my classmates. So you're not only scheduling your own time, you're trying to schedule time to get with other people who you need to maybe work on projects with or collaborate with. So it's it's not just you. It's other folks as well. Yeah, that was. was the biggest issue. Yeah, exactly. That was the biggest issue is most of, at least with the... The, uh, it was a part-time MBA is what they say. It's full-time, but it's it's an evening MBA, essentially. And the biggest issue was, was the scheduling aspect. So a lot of them didn't understand that I would work weekends. Like, they couldn't grasp that, right? They, they couldn't grasp that an industry would work weekends because a lot of them were doctors or accountants or, you know, and they always had every weekend off. And a lot of them were in their mid-30s or 40s. So weekends were very crucial to them. So they always had Saturdays open where I always didn't. So it was it was difficult, but, you know, we made it work, and, and here we are. What doctor never works a weekend? That seems strange to me. Every doctor I've ever known has worked a weekend at some point. Yeah, he was actually, uh, he was in charge of all the doctors. Ah. So, uh, yeah, so he didn't, he didn't necessarily have to work. I mean, I'm sure he did multiple weekends coming up, but... He was in charge of a, of a hospital. So you're spending time first on campus and then online at the University of Arizona online after you move over to Pebble Beach. Let's get into Pebble Beach for a second. What pulled you away from Desert Mountain the first time to head a little bit west to Pebble Beach and then obviously not wanting to, to just throw away the work that you'd done for your MBA to finish online as well? What, uh, what, what pulled you away the first time? Well, so the, the MBA was actually kind of a perfect scenario. So the first 14 months of the program is full-time in class, right? And then the second part was a hybrid. So you could either go online or you could continue in the classroom. So when I got the job at, at Spanish Bay, and what, what drove me to apply to the job was uh, my buddy Ross. We both worked here at Desert Mountain as assistants. We both went and volunteered the AT&T. Uh, what year was that? That would have been 
2016, spring of 2016. So we we volunteered. I went out. It was my first time to Pebble Beach. I fell in love with it. I thought the you know the whole company was fantastic. And then I think eight months later, uh, the job opened up, and I applied, and and I got it. So, and also my you know I'm married, so my wife Chantel she she got a job with with the company as well. So that was another key driver of us going there. Always makes it easier when both of you can get a job somewhere. That's that's a hang up for most couples. So you guys were lucky in that case. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was. Uh, we were very very fortunate to get it. So. Um, it was a really good time. We we were there for two years, and uh, very fortunate that we went there. When I spent some time with you the first time we met, just before Labor Day this year, I was out at Desert Mountain for a few days uh, for a cover story for the magazine, and Sean Emerson, your boss, so gracious and, and generous with his time, introduced us, and I think one of the things he said was, this is Kenton, he left for Pebble Beach, I had to get him back. Um, so what, obviously, great, great time at Pebble Beach. What pulled you back from the coast into the desert other than, Sean, essentially creating a new position for you, uh, superintendent of golf course operations, kind of overseeing all seven courses on that massive 8,000-acre property in the desert? Yeah, so Sean and I had had, had some conversations about coming back uh, last December when the Geronimo course superintendent opened up. And we both thought, you know, it wasn't a great time. Uh, we had the U.S. Open coming up in June at Pebble, and uh, I was at Spyglass at the time, so I, I really wanted to be a part of that. And I knew there would be more opportunity down the road. And really what drove it was my wife got a great job with Troon as a controller at their corporate office in Scottsdale. And so I, you know, immediately started started looking and I called Sean and and he basically created this position they had had it in the past uh, a previous superintendent um, Mark Snyder he's at Apache right now he was in this position years ago and so they kind of recreated it uh, for me essentially and and it's been great so far what exactly do you do as superintendent of golf course operations i'm sure you're using uh your mba a fair bit you're using your agronomic background a fair bit but what is the day-to-day there i know this is off the course but this is not a position that a lot of people have or or a situation that a lot of people have to work on seven courses right yeah i don't think there's i don't know of any other positions that uh or any other clubs that have a position like this i'm sure some do but my day-to-day, you know, I'm not in the field. I'm probably in the field 10%. I'm with Sean 90% of the day. And uh, I've mainly focused on a lot of the finances and the agronomic planning. When Sean created this position for you, what did he tell you about it long-term? So he, he really told me, you know, if I wanted to take his job one day, that I really need to understand the, the business side and the operations side. So I, I now get to go to all the, the board meetings and the divisional meetings every week, which has really helped me improve and helped me grow. So, um, you know, it's it's been a great, great uh, job for the first three months that I've been here. 
And you're still very, very young. What are you, 26, 27, if that? Yeah, 27. Good yeah. grief. <laughs> yeah. There's so much ahead of you. Holy cow. Um, let's scooch away from, obviously, your great years of Pebble. Now you're back at Desert Mountain. Uh, backtracking a little bit to your MBA uh, and the coursework that you had and the workload that you had, obviously, everybody who's listening to this is in a very demanding industry. How did pursuing and ultimately achieving your MBA help you both on and off the course? You, you talked about on a little bit, but in terms of off the course, um, whether it's balancing stuff or powering through, obviously your knowledge base is a little wider. How did those 20 or so months affect you just in all aspects of your life, not just work, I guess? Yeah, it really, uh, it really opened my eyes to, to focusing on, you know, what's important now. I really had to kind of hammer down and say, okay, I have to get this done. I can't really focus on anything else. Uh, so that was probably the biggest thing was the time management aspect and learning that. Um, other, other than that, you know, learning just another side of, of business in, in our world is kind of different. I thought it was really important. And also it gives me some options in the future, you know, if, if I want to be a GM or if I want to go work for a corporate company or whatever, I think just having that, that option in the back of my pocket is, is beneficial for, you know, my career long term. A few years ago, well, he's always been a fan of this statement, but a few years ago he said this in an interview. Uh, Bill Murray, famous golfer, uh, said that he always tries to be present. You know, he doesn't want to float through life. You don't get a dress rehearsal. You only get one life. Uh, and he always wants to be present. He always wants to see and experience everything around him. Is there anything like that in terms of you pursuing this MBA, getting this MBA, and realizing I have to be present absolutely every moment? Yeah, especially, you know, when I was when I was getting it. Mm -hmm. um, now I, I, I'm able to back off a little bit, you know. But during that, that two-year span, it was, it was absolutely I had to be 100% focused on what I need to get done or, or you fail. You know, over, I think, it was something like a quarter of our classmates dropped out of our program. So it wasn't like it's an easy program. And, uh, you know, you have to be focused or, or else you're going to drop out. Now that you're back at Desert Mountain, Sean Emerson uh, had honcho there for about 25 years Real forward-thinking guy. I think most of our listeners probably know who he is, what he's about. If they don't, uh, just, just I would say, an industry leader. But also someone who has had his eyes turned to analytics, advanced statistics, using every piece of data he can to optimize his now, what, 126 holes over 8,000 yep. acres. What are the pros and cons, Kenton, of using analytics on the course? The pros are very easy. I'm sure there are a few cons as well. Yeah, so the pros are, you know, pretty obvious. I, we track everything. And in my opinion, I would rather have every number and know uh, what justifications are to making decisions and, and having that knowledge to, okay, we need to do X, Y, or Z. Um, the cons, I think, is, having too much information and not utilizing 
you know, everything to the nth degree. So you can almost have too much, but you don't want too little. So it's kind of a, you're going to have to meet in the middle. Do you ever get that feeling that you just have too much data, you have too many numbers, too much information in front of you? Yeah, essentially. Um, but it's but it's a good thing to have, you know. I'm just saying that you have to you have to find some middle ground to where you're not wasting time getting numbers. You have to be utilizing 100% of those numbers to make justifiable decisions. And in terms of what you guys use at Desert Mountain, I remember a lot of big boards in various maintenance buildings. What are some of the you don't have to go into everything. What are some of the metrics that you guys track that maybe not a lot of clubs do right now at least? So we do, you know, every day your standard uh, green speed, greens firmness, greens moisture. That's kind of a given. I would say majority of clubs and resorts are doing that. Uh, but we kind of go above and beyond that. We're doing clipping yield. We're also tracking all of our equipment hours. So we have... Um, OnLink, which was purchased by John Deere a couple months ago, and then within that OnLink uh, cloud platform, we have on equipment, and that tracks all of our hours. Every time a machine comes into the shop, it logs those hours. And so our mechanics are able to know, hey, that's at 500 hours, it needs an oil change. So there's a lot of things that we're, we're doing um, that are beneficial to the property especially on a large scale. And then anything that you guys are working on that's not proprietary or or kind of a secret uh, that you can talk about, Any, anything that you've kind of come in and, and said, hey, maybe we should do this or maybe we should track that? Yeah, I, I think my biggest contribution so far has just been the, the financial analysis you know, we're, we're a massive club. We have a lot going on. Sean has a lot under his, under his belt. And so I would say I'm kind of taking over the fertilizer and chemical tracking and then forecasting all of those for each course and then trying to hit budget, you know, all within half a percent. There's a joke, and I, I only bring it up because I've heard it from so many people and heard it again at Syngenta Business Institute a couple of weeks ago that when you come around to somebody's course, they're like, "Oh no, what's going to go? What's going to happen now? What's going on now?" Is that is that the case, or have people kind of adapted to having you back there for the last year and just be like, "All right, Kenton, let's work together." I know you're not out to uh, to make life miserable for me with uh, with analytics and just all sorts of things that I don't normally worry about. Right, yeah. I mean, when I when I go to someone's course, uh, it could be good or bad. Okay. I'm typically on a mission to, to find something because Sean's probably sent me there. So um, it, it's kind of funny that you say that. It it is. Um, everyone knows like when I'm on their course and stuff. So uh, it's it's all good though. It's it's not like we're trying to find some secret or something. Gotcha. If for some reason you have picked up in the middle of this podcast, 22 minutes in, it's the fourth episode of Off the Course, talking today with Kenton Brunson, uh, superintendent of golf course operations at Desert Mountain, just outside Phoenix. Really, really bright young talent, someone you're going to want to keep an eye on. And also, 
you married into a golf family. Not you. You had a career in the industry, but that wasn't enough. You married into a golf family where your father-in-law is a veteran superintendent. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I, I met my my wife uh, in community college at Walla Walla Community College in Walla Walla, Washington, while I was playing baseball there. And she was a senior in high school. I was a freshman in college. And, you know, I obviously talked with her dad. He was a superintendent at Walla Walla Country Club. And I decided to go to Washington State and pursue an agronomy degree. They didn't have turf grass management or they were just kind of weeding it out of their program, so it was a crop and soil sciences degree. And I decided to pursue it, and and when I was come graduation, uh, I decided to go work for Jeff, uh, Jeff Blanc, and I worked with him for a couple months and decided this is what I wanted to do. And so he told me to, to head to Scottsdale because he had previously worked in Scottsdale, and then here we are. So you've got a great, I'm not going to call Sean a father figure, um, although he did, I know, bring you along on a lot of stuff when you were in your first trip at Desert Mountain, but you've got this this great figure you work with in, in Sean Emerson, and you've got a father-in-law you can lean back on, too, a little bit in terms of what do I do here, what do I do there, um, what did you do in this position 20 years ago? when I was seven years old and the industry was different. That's a situation not a lot of guys have. It seems pretty lucky and uh, like you've made your own luck too. Uh, but this, this, is a, this is a fun situation I can imagine for you. Yeah, it's been, it's been really fun. Um, Jeff has been at Walla Walla Country Club for 20 plus years. He's actually now the general manager there. He was actually, so Chantal and I got married uh, September 2nd, two years ago, and he was promoted to GM like two days after. So it was kind of a, a really cool event, and it has been nice to have Jeff and Sean. I get a lot of career advice from Jeff, but then I also get advice whether I like it or not from Sean every day, and I'm very uh, I'm very fortunate for Sean. He's, he's been one of my biggest mentors, if not the biggest mentor uh, in my career. Also a big, big-time baseball fan. It doesn't hurt matters when your brother is the pitching coach for the Oakland Athletics. Talking about Sean Emerson, Scott's his brother, and Scott's the pitching coach. How much do you guys talk about baseball, especially with your baseball background playing You know, into the time you were 19, 20 years old? Yeah, I mean, we probably talk about it at least two or three times a week. We talked about it yesterday. We were talking about Garrett Cole possibly going to the Yankees and Strasburg re-signing, so you know we're always talking about sports, and Sean really likes to kind of communicate through sports mm-hmm. uh, to a lot of our superintendents. He kind of implements a sports mentality, which I really like, and uh, yeah, so it's it's on our daily agenda. Did you grow up a Mariners fan? I did, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean they have the playoff drought, but a lot of great players, and you have a beautiful stadium and a lot of rain. Yeah, a lot of rain. I grew up on the east side of the state, so we have over 300 days of sunshine and uh, less than 10 inches, so it's kind of different than Seattle. How much ribbing is there between uh, 
Sean is an A's fan right now and grew up an Orioles fan, but obviously you have to cheer for the A's when, when your brother's on the staff and uh, your Mariners because it's been a little imbalanced the last few years. Yeah, I don't even uh, I don't know if Sean even considers us a threat at this point. So <laughs> we we just talk we just talk baseball in general. I can't really talk for my Mariners. Yeah. What else are you looking forward to? 2019's winding down. Uh, your first full year back at Desert Mountain. 2020. There's going to be a lot of jokes about hindsight next year. I imagine. What are you looking forward to in 2020, uh, professionally and personally as well, and probably more personally? Yeah, um, I would say, you know, 2019 was a very busy year. Desert Mountain, we had two new, you know, we redid Renegade. We built our par three golf course, number seven. We converted Chiricahua to year-round cool season, and we converted Apache to year-round cool season. So I'm kind of looking forward to just tightening up everything in 2020. We don't have a whole lot of projects uh, for the next couple years, which will be nice. Um Personally, you know, I'm just excited to travel and, and just enjoy being back in the desert. Where are you going? Any plans set yet? We're thinking Europe possibly in uh, in September of next year. We went to Kauai this past September, so we'll see where we're headed next year. What has your eye in Europe? Western? Eastern? Yeah, I would say Western Okay. at this point, yeah. Have you ever been? I have not. No, I really want to go, though. So if you had, say, two weeks, two weeks, are you going for a week, or what, what would I'd you do? I would say, yeah, pro- probably around nine or ten days. I think, you know, I, I kind of want to do the Ireland-Scotland thing, um, just to see, you know, the, all the golf courses and whatnot, and we'd probably be going with some friends, so we'll see what happens. You can't escape golf even when you take a nice long vacation across all the way across America, all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. You go to a different continent, and you're still checking out golf courses. Not a bad thing, but... Yeah, no, I, I think that's, you know, one of the, the biggest uh, benefits of being in the industry. What's that, just always having a built-in spot to go to, always having something to check out and fall back on, or...? Yeah, definitely. It's just the, you know, the network. I mean, when we went to Kauai, we went to a golf course, uh, Mackay Golf Club, and and met the head pro there, and it was a true property. So there was just, you know, there's always relationships uh, that you can find, you know, throughout the world. And it helps, of course, to be married to someone who was probably raised even more in the golf industry than you were. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny you say that. You know, Chantel, uh, she worked on the grounds crew for every summer uh, coming up through middle school and high school, so we always joked that she has, uh, seven years experience compared to my four. <laughs> Does she still do anything or is it just, just the work with true and she's not on the course anymore? Yeah, she's not on the course. She's a, a controller for him in, in accounting and, uh, yeah, she hasn't worked on a golf course in probably six years. Was there stuff early on that she was telling you that you didn't know? Yeah, well, kinda. Uh, I think I hear it regardless, but you know, she would always, tell me you know uh, i'm not dumb like i already know that you know so she's just she's just kind of listening to me ramble well any any partner who loves what you do and you love what they do and you appreciate each other and you don't 
go at each other's throats all the time. That's something special. So hold on to Chantel. That's uh, that's awesome. And, and congratulations on, what is it, about two two and a third years now? You got married in September yeah. of 17? Yeah. That's awesome. Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty special because she kind of understands, you know, if I have a long day, like what I'm going through, or she understands, like, how my days are going because she saw it through her dad. So I don't, I don't know of too many people that, you know, they're married to uh, someone whose dad was a golf course superintendent, so it's kind of special. Kenton Brunson, superintendent of golf course operations at Desert Mountain. Before I let you go, anything you have to plug, anything you want to make sure folks know uh, before the end of this conversation and podcast and before the end of 2019? Yeah, I, you know, just recapping uh, what our conversation started off on was the Syngenta Business Institute. Um, had a great time. I think it was probably the best professional event I've ever been to, and uh, I would highly recommend it. And I, you know, want to say thank you to you and and to Guy and all the other vendors and Syngenta that were there. Well, all I did was drive there and show up. It was uh, Syngenta who put it on. So, no thanks to me. I just showed up and sat in the back row. Mainly, mainly for the conversations. Fair enough. Yeah, it was it was yeah. it was a great event. Um, I hope to go again in a couple years. Um, I loved it. I loved every second of it. Yeah, it, it really was fun. Um, and now I'm looking forward to uh, GIS in a couple months. So. Yeah, we'll see you in Orlando in last week of January. Kenton, thanks so much for joining us on the fourth episode of Off the Course, brought to you by AquaAid Solutions. For more great podcast episodes on the Superintendent Radio Network, go to golfcourseindustry.com or Apple Music, and very soon, wherever else you get your podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, I don't even remember what all the other ones are, but if you listen to podcasts on an app, we will very soon be on all of them. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.